Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday. It is December 2nd, and as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I know I had a lovely few days off. I got to see the folks and spend some time in Kelowna, BC's second best city. That starts with a K. Of course, Kamloops here is number one. My thanks to Jason Hewlett for uh, doing a stand-up job filling in while I was away, but I'm glad to be back and uh, looking forward to uh, today's show here and what it has in store. I got to enjoy loads of NFL football as I, uh, while I was away. Of course, it was uh, American Thanksgiving. Um, aside from that, my Toronto Maple Leafs finally suffered their first loss since uh, firing Mike Babcock, falling to Buffalo on Friday, but they were able to rebound for an overtime win on Saturday, so that was exciting for me. Um, speaking of hockey, both Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid have each hit the 50-point mark on the NHL season already. That puts them on pace for 144 points apiece. That would smash Nikita Kucherov's 128 points from last season and be the most in a year since Yarmer Yager put up 149 points in the 95-96 season. So some pretty crazy scoring going on uh, in hockey right now. And Bruins forward Pat David Pasternak has uh, 25 goals in 27 games, which has him on pace for almost 76 goals. That's some rookie Timu Solani stuff right there. Of course, he had that uh, scoring race with Alexander McGillney back in, I think it was 93. So, uh, yeah, some crazy stuff going on in hockey. And, of course, uh, we couldn't uh, talk about hockey without talking about local hockey action. Uh, the Cam Loops Blazers secured three of a possible four points in their weekend series with Portland. Uh, the Blazers did fall in a shootout on uh, Friday night before grabbing the big 4-1 to one win on Saturday. And of course, Saturday was also Teddy Bear Toss night. Hughes is back onto it here. Hughes waits on it. Into the middle of the ice. Martin down low here for Zary. Sharper of John Keane as the Blazers Connor Zary scored the game opening goal on Saturday night which caused a storm to occur yes it was raining teddies after that power play marker just before the 11 minute mark of the first period so Keener will be joining me to end off today's show so I'll be looking forward to that breaking down what happened at the Sandman Center on Friday and Saturday nights and then uh, maybe take a quick look ahead to a six game road trip that's going to be taking place here over the next couple of weeks as the Blazers head east towards Manitoba uh, to kick off the back half of today's show, we will be joined by Michael LeBlanc. The, uh, he is with the Retail Council of Canada. Of course, today is Cyber Monday. That day was created by retailers to encourage people to shop online. It made its debut in 2005. So today marks the 15th annual Cyber Monday. But with all of the buzz around online deals today, what kind of impact does that have on small and local businesses? Should we be wary of buying online as it takes dollars out of the local market and will not necessarily help put food on your neighbor's table? Well, Mr. Lamont will be joining me in about 25 minutes to uh, talk about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and what all of that means for the retail sector here uh, in Kamloops and BC and across Canada. 
And my first guest today, well, it will be the lovely Kyla Lee. Yes, the defense lawyer from Acumen Law will join me in her usual spot here on Monday. We have a number of topics to get into today. A Quebec police officer stepped over the line when he detained a woman for refusing to hold on to an escalator handrail. The Supreme Court of Canada made the ruling on Friday that also slammed Quebec's lower courts. Uh, in a unanimous ruling, the court found the woman was within her rights when she refused to obey what was an ultimately unlawful order and that a reasonable police officer would not have considered refusing to abide by a caution notice pictogram on the escalator to be an offense. Yes, the officer was trying to force this woman to hold on to the handrail, I guess for safety purposes. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a bit of an odd one for me. Um, the incident happened in 2009, so it took 10 years for this situation to come to a resolution. So we'll be chatting about that. We'll also be talking about ride hailing. Last, uh, late last week, Premier John Horgan says that ride hailing is on its way to BC, and if the service isn't available by Christmas, it shouldn't be seen as a government failure. Well, our local MLA, Peter Millibar, uh, has a bit of a different take when it comes to that. The Premier promised that we would have ride hailing by Christmas 2017. He promised it by Christmas of 2018, and he was adamant that it'll be Christmas of 2019. Every time those dates come and go, there's some other excuse. Now I heard him saying, well, it's a complicated process. Well, come on. It's not that complicated. The rules and everything have been laid out now for several months. So uh, Kyla and I will be talking a little bit about those delays as well and uh, also some concern out in England right now when it comes to the early release of people who are convicted of terrorism offenses following Friday's attack on the London Bridge that resulted in uh, the deaths of two people and uh, injuring three others as well. So talk about those, uh, all those issues and more and uh, she is going to be joining me right after the initial break here on today's show. So I think it's going to be a good one here today on Monday, the first Monday of December. Uh, uh, yeah, not a lot of time left before Christmas, so we're going to be talking a lot about what's happening in the retail market as you guys all get set to go buy your presents. I'm sure some people have already completed their Christmas shopping, and they're probably bragging other people at work about all of that. But for the most of us, uh, we still got some work to do and some presents to buy, so we'll be talking about Cyber Monday here uh, in about 20 minutes or so, so stick around for that conversation. We'll find out if it's worth it for you to buy online or if you should take, that, uh, take the time to actually head out to the local store and spend your physical dollars at a physical place. But first, to kick things off, like I said, I will be speaking with Acumen Law's Kyla Lee, and we'll be talking with her after the break. So stick around. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Monday, December 2nd. I hope everyone did have a chance to enjoy their weekend and is able to enjoy the beautiful snow that we have received here today in Kamloops. It uh, looks nice, and of course, uh, that likely means that people have forgotten how to drive, as is often the case with these early snowfalls, so please slow down and be careful and drive safe. I am joined now on the phone by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So uh, we got some snow here. Is that the case uh, down in Vancouver or what? Nope, we're just rain, rain, rain. Uh, just the usual wet weather for you guys, eh? 
Yes. <laughs> well, I, I did want to start our conversation talking about this, what I think anyway, is a somewhat bizarre case out of Quebec, which dates back to uh, 2009. So the court decided that uh, a woman here was entitled to, uh, to I believe, a total of 20000 in damages after she was asked by an officer to hold on to a handrail on an escalator. She refused and was handed two tickets as a result of the interaction, one for $100 for disobeying the uh, pictogram that was on this escalator telling her to hold the handrail, and another uh, 320 for obstructing the work of an inspector, basically uh, also refusing to uh, identify herself. So, Kyla, it took 10 years for this woman to be able to, to see an end to this case for something that seems pretty ridiculous, you know, at the, in the grand scheme of things. Someone asked her to hold on to a handrail. She said no because she's perfectly capable of standing on her own two feet. I guess uh, just how common are cases like this? And, and, you know, just looking at this one specifically, did you find this one at all um, bizarre, I guess, like I did? I mean, this is certainly one of the most bizarre examples of police being mistaken about what the law is and then enforcing that law based on their mistake. I mean, the, the idea that you could be obligated legally to hold on to a handrail on an escalator when you're, you know, an adult who is capable of, of standing on the escalator and probably has done so dozens of times in their life prior to this. I mean, that, that's sort of the most absurd facts imaginable, but it's the type of thing that makes for really great judgments from the court. The worse the facts are, uh, the more sort of anger the court's going to have towards bad police conduct, which is what happened here. We do see this often, though. Um, police are frequently mistaken about what the law is and what the law says, um, whether it's in relation to driving provisions or in relation to people's obligations um, dealing with one another or even criminal charges. And it's nice to see the Supreme Court of Canada say that if the police are wrong, you have the the right to disobey their direction. You don't have to comply and then argue about it later. And I guess in this particular case, it just sounds like, you know, the uh, person who was uh, with some authority basically felt uh, undermined that someone wouldn't listen to uh, their demand to hand on to this handrail. And, and I was obviously uh, not too happy that this woman in particular was, was not agreeing to what uh, he had to say. I guess, is this a, a pretty common case that we see? Um, you know, you said it's not that uncommon anyway, that, you know, people are overstepping their, their boundaries when it comes to uh, uh, handing out orders like this. And, and and resulting in uh, in a case where you know, I guess it's kind of a ridiculous overall ruling that that this woman ended up having to go through and, and deal with this for ten years. Um, but yeah, I mean, is this something you hear about pretty frequently when it comes to uh, people overstepping their boundaries? You mentioned that uh, uh, people often you know maybe don't know the law, but even if they do, I mean, sometimes it's just um, seems like they're putting out a fight that's not worth fighting. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, remember that police officers and, and law enforcement personnel have a lot that they have to know. So, you know, to some extent, we can have some sympathy for them being, um, you know, mistrained or have a, an honestly held misunderstanding about what the law is. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to know every single possible law that you have to deal with as a police officer or any type of law enforcement. Um, but because of the, the massive amount of power that these individuals have compared to, private citizens, they have the responsibility to be right about the law. It's not the responsibility of the citizen uh, to have to listen to the police officer if the police are mistaken. And I've, I've, I've even just very recently finished dealing with a case involving a man um, who was ticketed for uh, an offense on the SkyTrain under a law that didn't exist. 
Um, and that case went all the way to the BC Supreme Court before it was dismissed. Again, because the police officer honestly believed that the law that they were applying existed, and even so much so that the court accepted at the, at the lower level that this law existed and convicted somebody under a law that didn't exist. Now, in that particular case that you're speaking of, I assume it didn't take a decade to work through like it did in this case. I guess how uh, uncommon is it for something like this, for something that seems so small at the end of the day, uh, to take this much time to actually work its way through the court system? It's unfortunately not that uncommon with cases that reach the Supreme Court of Canada to see them getting there, you know, five to ten years after the events that occurred. Um, for Especially for minor, you know, quote-unquote offenses, even though this wasn't an offense in this case, um, for minor instances, you have multiple layers that you have to work through before you even get to an actual court. And then once you're in the court, you have to work through every level of court before you can get to the Supreme Court of Canada. So it is unfortunate that people have to go through, you know, these lengthy the efforts and expense. It's not cheap to, to run a 10-year uh, legal battle, but it's important that people do it because if people don't stand up for their rights and don't use the justice system to assert what is right in law, um, we run the risk of delving into a police state where police can just believe that something's law, enforce it, and everybody's mandated to comply. Yeah, and I'm sure in this particular case, there was uh, at least at some point throughout the whole process that process that this woman was thinking, man, I should have just paid the $420 and not dealt with this situation, but she did see it through and, and it obviously paid off as she was able to finally uh, come out on top with a victory there on uh, Friday, I believe it was. Um, well, I want to shift gears here a little bit. I am joined on the line by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about ride hailing here in BC, a topic that uh, you know continues to come up uh, time and time again, very, very frequently. Uh, ride hailing, the Premier had said before, it would be in place by Christmas. Uh, I believe he had... Uh, offered up other timelines before in the past, but this one here, it seemed like it was uh, potentially reasonable here back in the summer when he said we could have it in place in the province by Christmas. I'm sure a lot of people in your neck of the woods, Kyla, out in, BC, in uh, Vancouver are, are really waiting for this to uh, to pass and to see some ride-hailing companies open up shop. Um, Horgan had said the passenger transportation board's in the process of reviewing license applications for 20 prospective ride-hailing companies wanting to operate here. Uh, opposition BC liberal critic Jazz Johal says that people should be prepared to find designated drivers this holiday season because it appears that ride sharing does remain stalled. I guess uh, just from your perspective, the fact that you know we're continuing to wait for these license applications to be reviewed, it feels like it's been three or months or even more. Um, are you surprised that it's taken this long, Kyla, to get these kind of um, you know th these affairs in order to open up these ride hailing companies? I mean, it just feels like this is continually being stalled and it's taking forever to get these companies off the ground. Um, a lot of frustrated potential customers um, I guess just are you surprised that it has taken this long and, and do you see this uh, review process coming to an end anytime soon uh, I don't see the review process coming to an end anytime soon. I mean, call me cynical, but anytime the government gives a timeline, I assume it's going to be twice as long as they say it's going to be. I mean, that's sort of been my experience just generally. Um, but there's been so many setbacks uh, for ride hailing um, between legislation that uh, I think really imposes too many obligations on, on the drivers and companies to the case before the Supreme Court of Canada that might undermine the ability of ride hailing companies to you know create a profitable business model. Model. And now today, uh, to cater, uh, announcing that they're mm -hmm. shutting down their app um, and likely not going to be providing any ride-hailing services uh, in British Columbia. Those are huge setbacks that are only going to delay the timeline of this further. Um, 
I guess, so if you had mentioned, sorry, the, uh, the the case that's going on in Ontario when it comes to uh, the class action and, and, you know, trying to see uh, fair uh, employment standards being given to those who are being employed by ride-hailing companies. Um, do you think that with if that case were to, you know, not uh, would lag on, I guess, if drag on a little bit and, and take a little while to actually go through the court system, do you think that has a big impact on the opening of these companies? Do you think there might be some companies that might wait uh, to, to begin operations? to see kind of how this plays out or are they yeah I'm assuming most of them are, are really raring to get going here uh, lots of people are raring to get go but a lot of people also you know can be very risk averse it's a huge financial investment that you're making to start up a ride hailing company you know to take on all of these drivers to develop an app to provide the service to get the licensing through the provincial government's approval process um, and uh, I think people don't want to make it that gigantic financial investment when they don't know what the future is going to look like and lots of lawyers will give the advice of wait and see you know we know the Supreme Court of Canada is going to render a decision decision on this, likely in the next six months. Um, and so it's not a huge amount of time that you have to wait, but the you know cost versus benefit of waiting might be more advantageous. Um, and so I do think that that's, that's throwing a wrench in the process and stalling a lot of the progress here. Well, I know we're all kind of hoping to see it come come to fruition soon. I, I know it's going to start in, in Vancouver, but uh, we here in the interior, or at least myself anyway, maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, are, are waiting to see some ride-hailing companies open up shops so we have some more options to get home. Um, yeah, particularly during the holiday season, although it looks like that won't be the case here. Um, not a lot of time left, but I did want to ask a quick question here about uh, on Friday, a man and woman were killed on the London Bridge, uh, three others wounded by a 28-year-old man who had stabbed them before he was tackled by bystanders and shot dead by police. Uh, they in England. Um, he was uh, released in December last year uh, after he was convicted uh, in part by dealing with an Al-Qaeda-inspired plot to place a bomb in a toilet in the London Stock Exchange in 2012. And then this has raised some questions from uh, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson about uh, you know people being released early of terrorism sentences. I guess, what is the, the case here in Canada? There's a lot to go through and not a lot of time here, but just, you know, is there a concern uh, for Canadians when it comes to people who might be convicted of terrorism offenses being released at an earlier date than, than maybe people feel they should be? I don't think so. And the reason why is our criminal code allows people who've been convicted of terrorism-related offenses or even just involved in potential terrorist activity or, or where police have reasonable grounds to believe they're involved in it, to put them on conditions that allow them to be monitored in the community that prevent their access to weapons or even knives um, and make them potentially have to report uh, to probation officers to supervise their conduct. And so we have a framework in place in Canada that would prevent something like this from happening in the future. Well, I appreciate that answer, and like I said, it wasn't a lot of time to, to probably dig a little deeper as I would maybe have liked to, but uh, got caught up on some other things there. But yeah, definitely some uh, comforting, I guess, information there that to say that uh, that situation that happened in England there last week is, is less likely to happen here in Canada, so I appreciate that. Well, Kyla, thanks so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate you taking the time, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you. Awesome. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Well, it is Cyber Monday here today, and before you click that checkout button on your electronic cart, maybe you should think twice and maybe, uh, you know, head down to your local business and uh, give them some of your money. Is it worth it? Or, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll find out more when I speak with the Retail Council of Canada after the break. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. 
Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. It is Monday, Cyber Monday that is, and uh, yeah, it's a tradition that started in 2005 to encourage people to shop online. Convenient, yes, but is it worth it when it comes to our local economy? Well, I'm joined now by Michael LeBlanc with the Retail Council of Canada. Michael, thanks so much for coming on with me. Thanks for having me on board. So let me just start with this specific question. I mean, how big of an impact does something like Cyber Monday, you know, a holiday essentially that basically encourages people to shop online, what kind of impact does that have on Canada's retail sector as a whole? Well, it's a pretty important day. I mean, you've got, uh, if you look at the, the three days, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Boxing Day, just for example, the, those three points of the holiday spectrum. We did some survey with Leger from coast to coast. 32% of Canadians told us they intended to spend on Cyber Monday. That's like a third of the population. So it's obviously going to have a significant impact. And, you know, additionally, what it does is bookend the weekend, right? The Black Friday to Cyber Monday. And the Black Friday holiday is a bit different here because it's not a holiday in Canada as it is in the U.S. So it acts as a bookend. And it's another important milestone. It's another reason to get out and, and, um, for retailers to get out and, and offer interesting promotions and exclusive items. And so it's, it's the short answer is we think, uh, you know, it's important to the industry and, and consumers like it. Now, on uh, on Black Friday, we'll go back to that. So a um, couple days ago, we saw Black Friday, and like you had mentioned, it's a big deal in the U.S. That's kind of where it all started, and, we, you know, we've all seen the big door crasher, um, you know, events that take place, and people are trying to get their 50% off or whatever the uh, deal of the day might be. And uh, here in Canada, I mean, we've sort of seen a trend switch towards people offering those Black Friday deals. It is promoted basically as the same thing that's going on in the States to encourage people, I guess, not to go south of the border. I guess, yeah, as we've seen more and more businesses here in Canada um, sort of take up that moniker of, of a Black Friday sale and start offering that to customers. Do you think that has kept a lot of people from traveling to the States? That might have been the case, you know, a number of years ago? Well, I think so. I think it's not the only thing. I mean, you know, back uh, 10, 12 years ago when the dollar was a par, certainly there was a lot of risk, both, you know, risk and opportunity, so to speak, right? So you, you really had you really had both. And, you know, fast forward to today and you've really got uh, a wider range of retail brands available. But ultimately, Canadians were heading to the border and retailers saw both risk and opportunity. They saw Canadians uh, spending their dollars in the United States on Black Friday. So clearly Canadians wanted a holiday before uh, before Boxing Day and, and a holiday before Christmas. Um, and when we're looking here at Cyber Monday, so one of the things that I always kind of think about when I when I think about buying online is that maybe my money isn't necessarily staying here in in Canada, and that's uh, you know something I, I think about. I don't know if a number of other people out there have those same sentiments about uh, you know supporting our local economy and and you know mm-hmm. Canada as a whole, but also you know when you go to a store here in your in your hometown, you're supporting you know your your neighbors and your friends, and yeah. and I think that's really important to, to to think about when you are thinking about making these purchases. So when you're looking at Cyber Monday and you are doing online shopping, I guess how how much of money do you think, or I don't know if there's a way to kind of put this into perspective, but how much, I guess, are we as Canadians sending elsewhere, sending out of the country when we are buying online? Is that a big concern that the Retail Council has, that a lot of money maybe isn't necessarily staying in the country when we're looking at buying online? Well, when we think of online, we don't really think of it uh, solely as um, an import or export opportunity. I think a lot of domestic, there's a lot of retailers in Canada who are online. So the money, you know, we look at that money staying here. It's just a necessity. And by the way, in our same research, 85% of Canadians told us 
that it was important to spend their money in Canada. So echoing your point, Canadians are connecting the dots. They're very savvy. They understand that money spent in their community uh, helps provide jobs and it helps provide, uh, you know, the sponsorship of the soccer team. And sometimes, often that extends into online. In this new world where, you know, you've got both online and offline retail stores offering both, it does provide jobs in in Canada for sure. So, you know, we, we look at um, the reasons you would shop externally. There's a lot of friction there. Like when you shop from outside of Canada, it's got to cross the border. It's a different exchange rate. Returns are very hard. Um, so, you know, of course, we would like to see Canadian shop uh, here in Canada, from retailers in Canada, and, and by and large, um, we see that now that we've got these Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we've eliminated any need to either spend the hassle to get across the border or uh, to get the hassle of shopping from outside Canada, and again, you know, the hassle of getting the product across the border, and then, it, you know, if you don't like it, uh, getting it back to where it came from. I think that's a good thing to hear that 85% of Canadians are thinking about where their money goes and, and making sure it is staying mm-hmm. uh, here in, in Canada where we all, we of course, want to support our, our local businesses and our local economy. I think that's a, a big point to make because, like I said, I think when I am shopping online, I don't necessarily think about where my money is going until after maybe I make the selection and think, you know, I could have spent $27 at the local store instead of spending it on Amazon or, or wherever the case may mm-hmm. be. So, uh, yeah, I think that's good to hear that a lot of people are taking that into consideration when they are buying online. I'm joined now by Michael LeBlanc with the Retail Council of Canada. I did want to ask, too, about these specific holidays. So you had mentioned Boxing Day. We've been talking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I guess how significant are these particular days um, to the Canadian business sector, to the Canadian retail sector? Are these, like, big drivers when it comes to making sure that uh, business or retailers are thriving or are able to stay open? I mean, how critical are, like, just one, one-off days like this uh, to making sure businesses are prosperous well they're actually very important and they're important in a couple of ways first of all you make a great point holiday as we call it is a marathon not a race but it's demarcated by several important days as you said black friday Saturday, monday boxing day and also the days you know the weekend before christmas is also a huge shopping day as well as people you know gear up for entertaining and holiday entertaining so you know together the individual days are important for a couple of reasons one they're important for the sales that are done on those days specifically because there's a lot of work and pre-planning you know retailers are pre-planned for a year about what items to bring in and what values to bring it also creates momentum like a jumping off point and now that's interesting this year because the jumping off point is a week later than last year right Black Friday is tied to the American Thanksgiving holiday, which is the 29th this year. Last year was 23rd. It leaves six less shopping days between uh, now, basically, and Christmas. So, you know, it's a very important both, as I said, individually those days. And then as a jumping-off point, creates momentum. So when you get 43 33% of the population thinking about shopping, that's huge. Um, and that gets everyone kind of in that you know, it's Christmas, Christmas around the corner. For those that are gift giving, it kind of raises that profile and, and it sets off really the final. But you know, even all that being said, something like 70% of Canadians have started their shopping in the month of November. Uh, and that's another trend that we've seen push out of December. It used to be later and later and later. But now with online shopping and with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we're seeing sales come into uh, November. And then, of course, online takes a little extra time if you're having it delivered to home. Uh, so we are seeing that the, the, the characteristics change a little bit year over year. Um, so you had said that uh, there that, you know, having 
Black Friday basically a week later than it was a year ago uh, makes mm -hmm. for six fewer days where I guess people are shop or thinking about shopping. I guess when you look at Black Friday, is that sort of like the trigger date when people are really starting to begin their holiday shopping? I know there's obviously the, the eager people out there who like to get it done ahead of time, and I wish I was one of them, but most people aren't. <laughs> um, but yeah, is that sort of the day when people are like, okay, now I should start thinking about my Christmas shopping? It's, it's probably not the day. I mean, working towards that date is, is, a, is an important milestone. We do see a significant amount of Canadians, though, now starting their shopping in November. But for sure, by the time, you know, from the beginning of November to the end of November, the key jump-off point, so to speak, is Black Friday. So it goes from, like, 25 to 30% of Canadians having started their shopping to, like, 75% of Canadians started them, starting their their holiday shopping. And, 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 you know, that's something that was not present. So that was something that was absent in the Canadian market a bit. There's no, you know, jumping off point. There's no key event 10, 15 years ago. We were waiting for the, you know, the leaves to turn or the snows to fall or whatever to trigger that kind of, oh yeah, geez, uh, you know, holiday shopping is here. I should, I should get shopping. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic and, and uh, we're still understanding it really because it's relatively new in, in the industry. Right on. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I had for, for those concerns when it comes to those holidays. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on or any message maybe for shoppers who are, uh, you know, starting their holiday shopping and looking to get ready for, for the Christmas season? Is there any particular message that retailers maybe have for, for those shoppers to make sure they think about buying local and, and buying in Canada? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the key is to, uh, to plan ahead, um, uh, whether, you know, across the country, uh, weather impacts differently here in southern Ontario. We had a pretty bad storm this weekend, so that's going to impact retail. Might drive some online sales, a little less so uh, on the west coast. But, you know, plan ahead, and there is six less shopping days. That's going to creep up on people faster than than, uh, than they think. And in terms of shopping local, uh, you know, we support, of course, uh, we support Main Street businesses all the way up to multinationals. Your local Main Street business offers often the, the kind of one-to-one. -one, they get to know you, you know uh, you know their assortment. They know what you're looking for. They their assortment is a bit different. So there's something for everyone. And you know I encourage people to uh, to shop at all formats, um, because uh, they, they, there's such great variety and value, uh, and service and experience. And you know that's what Main Street retailers are really great at, right? Is 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 inspiration. I don't know what I'm looking for. What do you think? And and what have you got? So that personal one to one touch is is very important. And I think. Uh, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. E-commerce, very efficient, very productive, click and shop. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't replace the fact that um, you might not be knowing exactly what you're looking for. And, and that's what Main Street Retail really, uh, really has a great uh, value to offer. Right on. I did want to ask you one more question before I let you go, and it's sort of unrelated to what we've been talking about, but uh, I know that there is a stance that the, the, uh, the Retail Council has on this. Uh, Vancouver City Council just recently uh, voted to phase in a ban on plastic straws and plastic shopping bags. Um, I'm just curious sort of what uh, the Retail Council has done in terms of looking at the impact of a phase-out of plastic bags and, and what impact that has on, on retail companies. Is there, uh, you know, uh, there's obviously a trend that's being um, put out mm -hmm. there to shift towards not having having those uh, shopping, those plastic shopping bags anyway, available in retailers. How significant is this to retail industry across the country as as we, we, we make that shift to going bagless? I mean, are a lot of retail companies concerned about uh, about that switch and the potential impact it might have on their on their costs? I'm not the 100% perfect person to talk about this, but I can say that one of the things that Retail Council Canada looks at on behalf of retailers is how do we make sure that when these kind of um, laws come into place, that they're, they're applied even at the provincial level? And, and 
why that is is because when you have municipalities put in different regulations, it increases operating costs because you've got to manage through. I mean, there's thousands of municipalities coast to coast, right? So it's a very big issue. Retailers are very focused on it. We understand and and reflect. Uh, you know, it's no no surprise that retailers would pay a lot of attention to this. It's a very retail is a very big component of the economy and the culture. Uh, so retailers are going where the customers are going, and they're you know many are already bagless. Many are already down that path, and and I think if there's only one you know one thing that retail council looks at uh, on behalf of the industry is uniformity. You know where it goes, where different laws in different municipalities can be can be pretty gnarly to kind of manage through from an operations perspective. So you know that that one look at how you should approach um, how you should approach plastics shopping bag, and I think plastics. Uh, and sustainability are very much at the forefront of the issues that we're working with in partnership with government uh, and municipalities, provincial municipalities. Uh, so I think it's very close to um, very close to the heart for for retail council. Well, Michael, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with me. I really appreciate it. I apologize if I put you on the spot a little bit at the end there, but uh, I think you sounded great. So thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem, and you just you just actually heard an order arrive at my door, so live live on radio. There you go, perfect timing. Well, enjoy your order. We'll deal with it later. Thank you. All right, that was Michael LeBlanc with the Retail Council of Canada. And yeah, as I was mentioning, Vancouver City Council has voted to phase in a ban on plastic straws and shopping bags. Uh, the Wednesday night vote came after staff reported that uh, they, they made that report to council recommending new rules for single-use items, including cups and utensils. So those plastic straws will be banned starting in April in Vancouver, and a bylaw banning plastic shopping bags would come into effect on January 1st, 2021. Of course, we here in Camelot are looking ahead to uh, the spring to see uh, what uh, changes the province might bring in when it comes to regulating a potential ban on plastic shopping bags. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be paying attention to what's happening in other cities and see how that is going to have an impact on what is going on here. Well, uh, that wraps up that conversation. We're going to switch back to uh, hockey talk as I'm going to have uh, John Keane on, the voice of the Kamloops Blazers on after this to talk about getting three of four possible points over the weekend against Portland. <laughs> Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Today is Monday, December 2nd, and I hope you all had a great weekend. I know the Kamloops Blazers had a pretty good one, taking three of a possible four points over the Portland Winterhawks. Portland came into their weekend ranked number nine on the CHL Top 10 rankings. Take that for whatever you will, and I am joined on the line now by the Blazers' voice, John Keane. John, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, good morning, Jeff. So, yeah, let's just start there by kind of looking back at this past weekend. I would say it was a pretty successful one with the Blazers taking three of a possible four points. Uh, shootout loss there on Friday night, but then followed that up by a nice 4-1 to win on Teddy Bear Toss night. I guess just, uh, you know, how, what did you make of the weekend series? Yeah, you know, I think Blazers outplayed the Winterhawks for five of the six periods. Uh, the only uh, period they they maybe didn't have the edge was the opener on Friday night, the first period, a bit of a feeling out process. You know, and, and both these teams, you know, have so much kind of respect for the the firepower of the other team here. And you know, the one thing that that I that I see is that you know teams are 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 fearful of the Blazers' skill, and and sometimes the Blazers maybe put the other team ahead of them as far as uh, you know this is. A 
good team, we have to be careful. Well, no, you know, if the Blazers put the pedal to the metal and they play at a high tempo, there's not many teams that can match them, including Portland, who is uh, a, a little bit renowned for playing an up-tempo game. And you know, this is a team that almost flourishes on chaotic moments uh, during the game and uh, can really go back and forth the best of them. And, you know, it was uh, it was entertaining hockey. Even even the, the shootout loss, the, the 1-1 game Friday, was a very entertaining game. It felt like a playoff game. It felt like both teams were in overtime in the third period already. You know, that carried over into Saturday where the Blazers played one of their most complete 60-minute efforts, you know, running away with that one and, and dominating for the most part in, in what turned out to be a 4-1 win. Uh, I, I guess we can't talk about the Blazers anymore without talking about Connor Zary. I mean, this kid just is on fire, scored his 18th of the year on Friday night in that 2-1 to shootout loss, and then scored the opener on Teddy Bear Toss night uh, yeah, to open up the scoring there in the first period, and, and he was the one who helped bring those teddy bears onto the ice. Uh, I believe you called that a very Zary Christmas that we saw there on Saturday. So, I mean, just what, what are you making of, of Connor's game right now? I mean, he just seems to be getting better and better as the season goes on. I believe he's ranked uh, fourth in league scoring right now, if I have it in front of me. Yeah, fourth overall, Zane Franklin right behind him. Uh, 38 points for Zane, 39 points for Connor. I mean, these guys are just, uh, really seem to be what is making the, the ball roll here for the Blazers right now. Yeah, I'm getting mixed reviews on the have a very zary Christmas here. I thought that was okay, but <laughs> I liked it. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, but Connor, you know, it's funny. I was I was sitting before the game with uh, with my color man there, Colton Davies from the NL Newsroom, and uh, I was just saying to him, like, think how far Connor Zary is coming. A year, like a year ago, uh, was this team relying on him to be the top guy? Um, he was just almost uh, kind of like you know a, a depth player. That uh, it's great. To have him out there, but you didn't rely on him for big goals, or he wasn't a game breaker. But now, you know, a year fast forward here, and, and he's a game breaker, and you know, he, he continues to relish the big moment. And uh, and and there's just an, an epic photo of his teddy bear toss goal. It's uh, it's online at various outlets uh, and some of the social media. Uh, he he scores the teddy bear goal, and, and the bears are raining down, and he's got the he's got his stick turned around like a shotgun kind of a thing, you know, like shooting bears out of the sky. It's just it was just a great photo, and. You know, for me, that's kind of a, that that photo right there kind of shows. It, it's almost like, you know, um, a, a, a calling card of his season. Just a big moment guy. Uh, this goes back to last year. Some clutch goals down the stretch as well. And you know, he continues to impress. He's only 18, and he's draft eligible this year. Uh, he's climbing all those ranking services, uh, but he just has this swagger about him this year. He's a confident player, and uh, and he's really been a, a huge part of this team's uh, run to top spot of the division. Yeah, that was a great picture. It just reminded me of yeah. uh, the old Timu Solani glove in the air, replaced the glove with the bear, and that's basically <laughs> yeah. what you got. Uh, yeah. It was, it was yeah. great great to see. Um, yeah, I guess we should look ahead here a little bit. I mean, uh, next six games are being played in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. I mean, this trip is a pretty extensive one, and it begins with a stop in Brandon on Friday. Uh, you had mentioned uh, that you guys are leaving here uh, tomorrow, so you're going to have a nice uh, nice slow trip. No rush to get out to the out east here, but uh, I'm interested to see how the Blazers do in, in Prince Albert personally. I mean, that game isn't until the 14th, but the Raiders are ranked 6th in the CHL Top 10. Uh, take that for, for what you will, and they're also coming off that Memorial Cup run from a year ago. Uh, I just want to get uh, your your thoughts on this upcoming road trip. Is there any particular thing that you're looking forward to? Is there uh, you know maybe a measuring state game that, you're, that you think might be on the horizon, or, or what are you looking forward to on this road trip? 
Well, what I want to see this team do is, is develop their, their consistency on the road. This is a team that hasn't played their best hockey on the road. They're five and seven away from the Sandman Center. Uh, and, and these are some, there's some games here that, that might be the free bingo space here, but you, you can't take it that way. And I'm talking about, you know, some of the, uh, the places like, uh, Regina, uh, to a lesser extent, Moose Jaw. But, uh, it, it's, you mentioned the Prince Albert game. That's, that's an interesting game. There's no doubt about it. They're the defending WHL champs. It would just be nice to see both these teams at a full deck for that game. Uh, the Blazers might be without Connor Zary, depending on the World Junior News tomorrow. Prince Albert is already going to be out there. Uh, two import players, including Alexei Protas, who's probably their most offensive guy because he'll represent his country uh, in the uh, World Junior, so he won't be available. It'll be the tail end. It'll be game six of the Blazer road trip, and those are tough. That final game, for whatever reason, is always a tough one uh, with sugar plums dancing in the air with uh, these players anticipating about a 10-11 day break. So that's always a tough game uh, for, for the road team going in, but you know, I think you can ride some motivation. Like you said, you know, they're, they're, they're a top team their you know CHL rankings tongue in cheek sixth uh, in in the nation defending WHL champs and then maybe the Blazers can muster that up and use that as motivation. But for me, I, I just want to see them develop that road game and and be effective and, and be a dominant team that they can be. You know, like we've seen at the Sandman Center, I want to see that on the road. Right on, John. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And yeah, hopefully they don't take anything for granted because uh, I'm sure we all thought they uh, were in for a couple of wins in Prince George not too long ago and they came away with two L's. So uh, yeah, definitely need to see some more consistency on the road. Thanks so much for doing this, John. I appreciate you taking the time. Okay, Jeff, have a good day. Thanks. That was uh, the Blazers play-by-play announcer, John Keane. And of course, you can hear him here on Radio NL on Friday as the Blazers will be in Brandon. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.